Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast, produced by me, Fraser McGrew, for Aleph Insights. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare, Jordan Fermanis, and Chris Ragg of Aleph Insights. And this week, we're discussing being yourself. Nick, go for it. Um, well, you know, uh, films. Yep. They um, often, uh, if there's a message, it's often about being true to yourself, isn't mm. it? It's often about, you know, follow your own dreams. Don't let society tell you how to behave or what to do. Mm. And uh, that it's important to sort of say what you think and, and live according to what you genuinely want and not, you know, what you know your, your neighbours tell you or your boss tells you to do. I think it's a very common theme. Mm. And I'd say it goes back uh, into the distant past. You know, if you look at uh, things like um, the uh, Emperor's New Clothes, really mm. about, you know, not, not going along with what everyone else says and, and sort of trying to, trying to aim at, at, at believing the truth rather than what society says is true. And, um, but on the, so on one hand, everyone's exhorting you all the time to be yourself. But what does that mean? Because you might well be socially determined. Your, your behaviour and your beliefs might well be, it might be authentically you to go along with the crowd. Like in Monty Python where they say, we're all individuals. You know, that, that might be you. So what does it mean to be yourself? Is it something you can actually aim for? Um, and, uh, and yeah, should we do it? Um, also, what about if you're horrible, you know? If, yeah. You're, if you're truly horrible, right? Um, <laughs> is it better to pretend to be nice or to be authentically horrible? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, so, someone pick it up. Who wants to run with this? I mean, there's the question being posed. Go for it, Chris. Well, I, I was just going to say, speak you know, your truth. <laughs> well, I, 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 only if you uh, if you want me to, you know, obviously, and it fits in with the group. No, okay. Um, so, Jordan, yeah. you come in. No, yeah. <laughs> Go for it, Chris. Uh, well, no, I was just going to say, like, why is this? Why is this an issue? Right, whether you are yourself or you you go along with the group, and I think there's something. Um, it's worth sort of taking a step back and looking at us. Uh, and the way we interact with one another as to as to you know why why this is an issue and if you look at humans you know if you if you think about the spectrum of uh, sort of independence and isolationism through to complete integrated mm -hmm. society um, you've got species like ants mm -hmm. right where you know you 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 have complete you know in some ant colonies there's completely um, they call them superorganisms. You know that they act as a as a whole without independent uh, goals, I suppose. And you know, there's one reproductive female, and so you know things like self-sacrifice in defence of the colony, you know, is, is is not a choice. It's a it's a sort of you know. Um, well, it's no different to losing a bit of fingernail when you're defending yourself. Quite, in exactly. A fight, That's right. Yeah. So so. Um, Do you know there's the, some ants who are just doors? They've evolved to have these big heads that, and their only job is to is to, <laughs> to block be the, a door. Block it's a bit <laughs> like the um, uh, the honey. I think it's the honeydew ants, uh, where they they basically force feed them with nectar all day, and they they just swell up. They're just a repository for. for um, they're just a bag. Yeah, they're just a yeah. bag. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, uh, but then on the on the other end of the spectrum, you've got um, you've got like Bengal tigers, right? Which only they basically the, the only reason they meet up. Is to court and and mate effectively, and occasionally have a bit of a scrap. But they might live 
they might, you know, w one tiger might cover a 200 square mile territory, right? So you've got this this spectrum from the entirely the entirely selfless societal sort of hive mind through to you know com complete individuals and humanity and its, uh, its evolutionary strategy sort of plonks in the middle right so you've got um, uh, you know we are social animals but we're also independent and so we've got this uh, we found this niche as a society but but we've got to find our own niche as an individual as to which part of that spectrum we sit on so therefore we have this dilemma of should I act in my own interests and and follow my own path or should I amend what I do you know adapt it to what everybody else wants to do and fit in with them so I think that's just a sort of positioning as as to why this is uh, something we need to, to think about um, okay I think you've hit upon it there um, because as soon as we talked about tigers and ants um, the first thing that was strikes, strikes you is that well and as you've kind of alluded to um, um, tigers are on their own. They know they want to be individuals. Fine, they stay away from everyone. Uh, ants um, want to be together. Brilliant. There's millions of them all together, um, and we're horribly in the middle, sort of caught. You know, we, we, what, what way do we go? And also, it's you might know this better than me, but I think we're evolved to sort of live in a tribe of about a hundred people, right? That's what we're yeah. good at. People rarely have the Dunbar number. Is that what it is? Yeah. And that's so that maybe that's part of the problem that you know we're okay if we were in a hundred because we can be social enough. Um, but if it's you know less or more than that, it, it, it can go wrong. Um, let's bring in Jordan. Uh, yeah, I think it's sort of about how we interpret um, authenticity, um, because I think so. If people are striving, how we interpret in inauthenticity and authenticity, um, because if people are striving to be authentic, but then they experience um, some negative emotion, and, and then that they perceive that as inauthenticity, um, th that. So if they're trying to be authentic, but then the social pressure to be genuine and, and, and honest um, leads to inauthenticity, there might be a sort of disparity between their own personality and the social pressures that kind of um, that people that we put upon people. So I think there's a kind of there has to be a balance between yourself, your personal characteristics, traits, how you present to the world and then the social pressures that we place upon people to be authentic and, and, and how we hold that into, in, in high regard. Mm. I think that's what's tricky for humans is that balance, right? Mm. So, um, oh yeah, and the other thing is, as there's this great Argentinian writer and thinker, you don't, I don't know if you've heard of him, he's called <laughs> Borges, okay? And he had this essay that he wrote about the Aleph, okay? It's mm. great, I'll introduce you to it sometime. <laughs> um, and it's it, it, this feels like that in the actually all come, comes, often what we talk about is aims, right? Um, and if you are a tiger, your aim is fairly easy to define, um, or certainly because it's just your aim. Whereas if you're an ant, it's also easy because it's the aim of the colony, right? Whereas, like we were saying at the beginning, if you're human, uh, you're stuck somewhere in the middle. How do you balance that? Um, Nick? I, well, first of all, I want to, I, I, I'm just putting this out there, but it, it, I mean, there must be a spectrum. Obviously, Chris said we're in the middle. I think everyone thinks they're in the middle. Mm. I suspect ants think they're in the middle and look down on, on even more conformist ant colonists. Who mm. knows? But, uh, but uh, I wonder if, you know, a t there might be tigers out there who quite fancy just to cuddle. Mm. 
or, or a chat with another tiger or something and, and just never get the chance. You need to or, try it out. Go find a tiger. Give it or, a cuddle. Yeah. Or whether there or whether there are ants out there who kind of think, well, you know, I'd quite like to be the queen ant for a day and I don't like it being this worker ant. It's really boring. I, <clears throat> in as much as that would mean anything. But I'm just I'm just saying it. Obviously, everyone thinks they're in the middle. It may be just as hard for other animals. We don't know. Anyway, um, I thought I'd have a look at how psychology handles this concept of, um, you know, authenticity versus uh, versus sort of social uh, pressure and so on. Um, one of the things that it's really hard to measure because it, it, to some extent it involves understanding what's going on inside someone's head. And you can't get that out unless you assume that their behavior reflects what's going on inside their head in some context. Mm. Of course, that isn't necessarily the case. Obviously, people during a study may be saying things that they want the experimenter to hear or, or they, you know, well, it's certainly a kind of artificial situation to be in. So, so it's very hard to measure. But one of the things they've looked at is what's called intra-individual variability. Mm. Um, how much does your personality change sort of over time in different contexts, looking at things like... Um, Look, uh, you know, things like what kind of you might be an extrovert at work, but an introvert at home, home or vice versa. And um, but versus, you know, people who uh, for whom their personality never changes and they're the same all the time. And the inclination is to say, well, OK, maybe that first person, the flexible person, maybe they're just authentically flexible in the same way that, you know, if you're walking on a cliff, you've got to be a bit more careful than if you're just walking down the road. Now, which one is your authentic walking style? Mm. Well, both, right? It's it's correct to be careful on a cliff and less careful on the road. So, you know, the, the, the concept doesn't make sense. But if you are varying your walking style, someone who walked the same in both contexts, you could at least say that's probably authentically them in some mm. sense. Like we, it, if they're always the same, then that same thing is there. So, so that's one thing you can look at is uh, variability. And there isn't a great deal of, research into it i was hoping to find okay well people with more variable personalities tend to be of this kind but um they have found that or at least there is a, a suggestion that um if you have a diverse personality uh, personality set, a set of, of personality manifestations that's correlated with what's called perspective taking i.e the ability to understand what other people are thinking um uh, that, and the the hypothesis is that this is because you're well for two reasons firstly that um you have less egocentric bias, which means that you're able to understand that your own views of things are only your own view and not like necessarily the truth mm. and other people are weirdos, mm. right? So first of all, it's about understanding that your perspective isn't the only one. And secondly, that uh, it's about uh, your ability to construct other people's perspectives. And so one of the things they found was that people who had uh, openness to experience were better at doing that. The, and the thought is that the more things you've done, the more able you are to go, oh, OK, well, you know, uh, these people probably see it from this perspective. Like if you've worked in a shop, you're probably more easily able to understand what it's like for a shopkeeper to have to deal with an annoying customer. right? And you're likely to change your behavior and the way that you approach them as a result. And so the, the idea is that, you know, uh, yeah, so if you're if you're therefore, you know, nicer to shopkeepers as a result of having worked in a shop yourself, is that inauthentic or not? Well, let's not worry about that for now. But the point is that it doesn't necessarily mean it, it, it could just mean that you're able to see things from their perspective better. So so anyway, you see people who are you know varying the way they behave in lots of different contexts. Um, that's correlated with what we would probably think of as positive 
personality mm -hmm. um, features. So, so that's interesting to me because it's sort of, you know, the, the kind of basic model, the naive model of authenticity is you're the same in all contexts. But actually, I, I think this, the, the suggestion from this study is that um, being, uh, is that actually varying the way you behave in different contexts is a positive attribute and correlated with some things that we think are good. Um, and, and then ha having said that, and again, to go back to this concept of authenticity, um, the, I've seen one study where they've tried to sort of define it in terms of congruence between your outer behavior and your inner feelings, which, um, you know, subjectively makes sense. Hard to measure. You can only ask people, you know, how, how do you feel like you're, you're putting on an act? Um, but uh, I certainly feel like that's a thing and, and, and that it's hard. It's hard to consistently behave according to ways you don't want to behave because there's, you know, it makes you depressed. Aspect. Right. And that's what they found is that, you know, authenticity, um, it, when you have lots of congruating fluctua uh, fluctuations in, con in your sort of congruence, it's, it's negatively linked to emotional well-being. So, okay. so anyway, summary uh, would be that, um, first of all, well, two slightly con contradictory findings, which is, you know, the more your personality varies day to day, well, sometimes that's a sign of some positive personality attributes. Um, but on the other hand, uh, if you're constantly doing and behaving in, in ways that don't feel like they reflect your inner behavior, it's bad for you. Okay. So how do we, how do we, you know, what does it mean? What does all that mean? Okay, um, nice. Um, I'll bring in one of you two in a second. Just before I do, um, it strikes me, although I presented it as a problem or a dilemma that, you know, let's just say for a moment humans are in the middle. That's up for debate, but let's say we're in the middle. But maybe we're equipped for that, right? That sort of, yeah. you know, a tiger wouldn't be able to make these kind of, nor, nor would an ant sort of work out how to sort of vary, for example. Um, who wants to come in first, Chris or jo Let's go for Jordan. I think also there's a, I was looking at the sort of philosophy behind this as well and I came across um, Aristotle's golden mean which is a balance between two extremes excess and deficiency and I think that's also an interesting way to think about being yourself because um, you, it, it's good to I guess encourage people to be themselves but we probably don't want people to reveal too much of themselves all the time because um, we could just we, 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 it could, it could, society probably wouldn't function well if people were just <laughs> acting out their every whim all the time. So I think that that's why I think this idea of coming back to that idea of balance is a good one. And it seems to be sort of something that yeah goes back into the sort of birth of philosophy, really, because it's sort of it's about the kind of functioning of society and how we can all kind of coexist in a way that is harmonious and mm -hmm. not sort of detrimental to the greater kind of good, but also to the individuals by mm. having to do mm. things they don't want to. Yeah. Mm. yeah, it is at the heart of, uh, of philosophy. I think. I think the. Um, I, I think. I mean, I'll sort of retouch perhaps on the philosophy later on. But but something I was gonna that, that I started thinking about as Nick was was talking about individual predispositions towards uh, towards flexibility. You know, so are some people more likely to. Uh, seek to fit in or are some people more likely to just be consistent this idea of variability and then the, but the other thing I think as well as your inherent sense is situational and there are a few things we, we talked about um, previ previously that, that made me think of this one is um, that it's been well studied that uh, as you become more powerful you become less uh, empathetic, right? So as you climb a, a hierarchy, you become less good at 
empathizing with your fellow individuals and perhaps ameliorating your behavior in in response to them right now why why is that well i, I posit that one reason that is is because you can right so so not only do you have a predisposition to to want to be yourself but it, 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 the power you know the power hierarchy sometimes dictates that you better do what other people are telling you because you don't have the position the status to to be yourself but you know it's it's easier for the likes of you know lord byron or or uh, elton john to to be individuals and you know not change their behavior in response to others because they are in you know positions where they're able to do that but if you're the you know the scullery maid or the you know the butler or something then you have to be more of a social chameleon so so yeah, i bet even lord byron wouldn't have been uh, too keen on his uh, on his kitchen staff no. deciding that today they were just I'm gonna, gonna be myself yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly and but the other thing that so so there's that there's your position within society that i think obviously gives you the ability to to act out you know your own uh, desires or not but then then i think the other thing is sort of situationally you talked about different cultural approaches to um to you know sort of uh, uh to 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 acting collectively or acting individually or uh, um and i i think sometimes the circumstances of particular societies you know if they are at conflict for example you know everybody harks back to the idea of well wasn't britain better during the blitz and so on well there wasn't much choice it was like you kind of get in line and do what we all need to do or we all suffer but at other times you know like the roaring 20s maybe there was more individualism where you know money was perhaps slightly uh, in easier supply and there wasn't an immediate threat of uh, um, Germans turning up on your doorstep. It feels like we might have reduced this though too far to, it feels like we're talking about individualism versus collectivism, I don't know. And I wonder if we've simplified it too well, much, I, I don't know. I've got know, a couple but... of, a few thoughts about um, how we might think of authenticity without it being about a subjective feeling. Because I think there is, there are certain things which can be genuinely true or false, right? And, and you touched on some earlier, which is sort of shouting about how much you love insurance, for example, when you don't, for some unimaginable reason. Um, <laughs> which are things that you say, right, beliefs you have. If you're saying things which aren't the beliefs you hold, then that is objectively you're saying things that are false. We can say that objective or at least from your point of view, which are false. So we can objectively say that, that you're, you're, you, you are being inauthentic. Likewise with feelings. If you pretend to be really happy about something and you're not or vice versa, um, then, you know, that's, that's inauthentic. But, I mean, actually objectively i know it involves a subjective feeling but it's objectively yeah, yeah. the case that the things you're saying do not reflect yeah. some inner truths um i don't think it's quite as clear-cut with the concept of action like like behaving in a certain way um or things that don't really have a sort of truth or falsity content like like the way you behave to someone in a shop um whether that can be said to be authentic in quite the same way, because it it's not you know it, it's not something that can be true or false. So I so I think th when we're talking about things people are saying, I think we can say. I didn't really understand. So I didn't understand the the distinction between action and saying. Can you run it by me again? Sorry. Well, I know speech is a kind of action, but but things you say have a truth value. They're yeah. either true or false. Mm. So what I'm saying is, if you're telling untruths about your inner self. Yeah. 
even if you're doing it to be polite or to fit in or something, mm. then that is inauthentic, yeah. right? Um, whereas your actions, just, you know, the things you do, mm. I, I don't think can be inauthentic in the same way. Right. I'm just I'm just saying that's a criterion you can apply to things people say. I still don't is, get this. Do you guys get well, it? Well, well, a thing what, that's a, yeah. th a statement. I'm can not be disagreeing. True or false. I'm not disagreeing. I'm just saying I me don't understand. Me picking up a cup can't be true hey, or false. Don't shout at me. I'm just trying to understand. Mm, me me no. picking up a cup is not true or false. It's just a gotcha. thing that happens. Gotcha. But you like, listening to music that you don't like or wearing clothes, you know, like the, the sort of fakeness that people mm, portray mm. in there. I, I, I would equate that to sort of saying oh yes i i believe in god when you don't believe in god right or or like going to church is an action right you might not believe in god but you might go to church I, but I it could be yeah. that there are some actions that fall into what you're well, saying well I, I, but i think that's really helpful actually because that's clarified something i wasn't sure of but but i think i i would sort of see that as almost like actions which have an which bear an implicit statement about you they they, they make a statement about your yeah. inner self say yeah. Um, and so to, in that, to that extent, I think that's perhaps where inauthentic, inauthenticity of behavior comes from, is if your behavior um, is, uh, you know, implicitly says something about you which is not true. Um, and also that you, the fact that you said that it says, well, that ties it right in with what the original thing, like yeah when we speak um, but I, I so i just want to say something else which is which is uh, it's a really important distinction which is adapting versus fitting in right they're yeah. not the same um i remember i know that there was this sort of landmark study in linguistics uh, i think it was probably about 50 years ago or something but um where they looked at the behavior that shop assistants had uh, with different customers and found that um the shop assistants spoke with a posher accent if their customers were working class and they spoke with a more working class accent when their customers were upper class. The idea being that they're sort of adapting to a certain social role. Yeah, yeah. When you're upper class, you probably expect and want a working class shop assistant. But if you're working class and this shop might be, as far as you're concerned, actually quite posh, perhaps you want the shop assistant to be posh. Mm. But anyway, the point is that they're adapting, but they're not. They're actually doing the opposite of fitting in. What they're doing is... Uh, is is sort of taking on a social role, yeah. which um, which is like more suitable, more they're, suitable they're for the context. Mimicking, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, I think another aspect of being yourself is also um, self awareness um, and uh, building self awareness, I guess. Mm. Um, and I was looking at um, Mark Manson's interpretation of this. He describes self awareness as a, as metacognition, and breaks it down into three levels. The first one is what you're doing so your actions um choosing the right kind of actions building a sense of awareness eliminating um the compulsion to um i guess do inauthentic things the second being uh how you're feeling so a sense of um uh emotional uh honesty i guess um and, mm -hmm. and, and that being part of building uh, your your, your self-awareness and the third thing is the, your blind spots, so your biases, um, and, and kind of acknowledging those as well. And I, he sort of he sort of argues that if you can align those three things, you can build self awareness. And I guess that could then portray a more authentic sense of yourself mm. to, to the world, which can build in all these other things we're talking mm, about yeah. about adaptability and so on. And yeah, yeah. And the the other sort of aspect of self awareness is you know there's your there's, there's that introspection, that private self-awareness but then there's also your public self-awareness of you know your the way you're perceived and what other people expect of you um, and I think one of the things that I sort of 
uh, I've just been thinking about as we've been talking there is that this this notion of authenticity it assumes that there is a core there to be either authentic or inauthentic about mm. right now I I personally find this quite difficult because um, you're just I, an empty shell of a man. An empty shell of a man. <laughs> I, I view myself as a, a, a as as an through self awareness as a, as a nihilist, right? And um, but that's not that's not a choice. Like most people, they go, "Oh, I'm a, a, a rationalist or a you know an idealist or whatever that you know," because they've sort of thought about it a bit and they've reached a d decision, a, ra a reasoned decision, right? The, the reason I'm a nihilist is because that's just it just feels natural and maybe that's that's the case with all all philosophies but if there, if there if you have no sort of strong beliefs to adhere to how can you be inauthentic and or, or authentic the other thing i think is interesting is the extent to which um actually over time if you if you are inauthentic enough does that become your authenticity and I, I always think of olives right as, as an example uh, which I, I didn't like olives until about three years ago but I would occasionally sort of nibble them because they were the sort of thing that one was expected to but generally I you know I kind of avoided them but I accepted you know when people were sort of blaring on about how great olives from Tuscany mm. were or something mm. you'd sort of nod nod your head but eventually I started liking olives and then then you do like olives so it's no longer inauthentic so I, I wonder the extent to which you know the brain being plastic you actually by fitting in suddenly that becomes the real the real you mm, mm. well yeah and it becomes even more complex when someone is actively enjoys conformism I mean you know which needn't be someone just saying you know what I'm a conformist and I love fitting in but just like someone who actually just likes uh, making other people happy and you know the kind of people who who'd be like um oh you know let's go out to dinner where you want to go out to dinner because I don't really mind and and they actually mean it right they actually mean that they get happy or people who like you know um who who are really mad football fans because they like being with other football fans. But if all of their friends were rugby fans, they'd be a rugby fan, mm. right? So, but but I mean, that's because it's authentically them to be really kind of sociable and and want to fit in with people. So, you know, it's tricky. Thing, as, I guess it's also about the effort that's required. Like there's something about if you're trying too hard, maybe mm. that's being inauthentic it should there's something about authenticity that feels like it should be effortless or it shouldn't require any like as chris was sort of saying there it shouldn't require any further introspection it should just come out of you mm. and, and i think that's and that that is another layer of complexity it's like is is being authentic just sort of it's kind of what nick was saying maybe just swaying with with the situation and 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 seeing it for what it is rather than trying to exert some kind of control over something mm. um, also this makes me think of um i've got a mate who's terribly posh um and often when i'm with him i feel a bit embarrassed um because he just he never changes who he is mm. right and and so um and he's can be quite arrogant and a, no arrogance not fair a little bit abrupt entitled entitled mm. um and so if we're in a pub or a restaurant or whether the way he speaks to people so firstly i get a little bit embarrassed because his accent doesn't change mm. and he's oh, oh, so he's like that but other people um, probably don't mind well well hold on and so and and second um yeah and the way he speaks to people i think is a bit abrupt um whereas i definitely 
knowingly or unknowingly changed my accent. Uh, one and two, I'm, I'm I, I I always try to make mates with uh, waiters and staff and mm. have a little chat, and I really enjoy that. Um, but here's the thing: um, it's one like I say he's very posh, so that's maybe his background. That's all used to being entitled, maybe. Um, but two um, aims and what's our aim in life, right? Because and goes back to this collective versus individual, because. By pretty much most uh, measures, he's more successful than me, and he has charged ahead in life and sort of carved a path for himself and his family and so on. And maybe I have, but not quite. I, what I'm trying to say is, I actually quite respect his um, unchangeability, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. You know, he Whereas had to I'm fight all... against the disadvantage of going to Eton and then Oxford. <laughs> he did go to Eton, actually. and then uh, <laughs> and he did, yeah, and then getting a job at his dad's company. Yeah. It's a nightmare. Yeah, yeah. I wonder why he's so How successful. Did he, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> How did he do it against yeah. such incredible odds? Yeah. yeah, no, but there is. A, he's one of the most confident people I've ever met, and I just I'd like a bit of that. You know, well, I, I this is I think perhaps where we need to go for the explanation, and, mm. and we've, we've so we've talked round quite a lot of, and this. then we need to round this all up. In yeah, a minute. Um, and and actually, uh, I fact came across a quote only the other day, in fact, by Robin Hanson, who of course is the um, probably most famous for promoting the idea of kind of signalling, but also the universality of signalling as a as a kind of driver of human behaviour. Um, and he says, what you really think, in inverted commas, is substantially created by your social world and need not come from your high mind. So encouraging everyone to ignore social context and just say what they really think just isn't obviously going to induce a world dominated by high minds, nor does it have much chance of an actually happening. So he's putting forward the view that... I lost that, all of that, but it's fine. Yeah. Jordan was nodding. That's good. Keep he's going. putting forward good. the view that you don't know what you really think. In fact, the concept doesn't really exist, that actually your your beliefs are um, determined by a whole range of things that aren't cognitively accessible to you, um, including things like your social status and the social status you're trying to project and all of that, which goes back to Chris's point of, you know, the, the higher status someone is, the more they can be their self. And, and, and that's why I think we think of being yourself, in inverted commas, as a high status thing because because you don't need to worry about impressing anyone above you you're already at the top of the status hierarchy you can do what you want when you're a bit lower down than that um you you might think you're being yourself you might think and i'm sure you've heard people say this oh i wear a suit for me or i put makeup on for me because you don't even know how much of what you think is genuinely you is determined by some inner thing and or the the outer world that you've found yourself in and and the argument would be that you know we've evolved the we it's so important for us to to have social approval that we have evolved a very uh, kind of fundamental desire for it that we're not really aware of. So, so we think, oh, I, I want, I want to do that. I want to be polite to this person, or you know, I, I want to, um, you know, uh, say that I like this food when I don't. Um, that's me. That's authentically me. But you don't know what that means. It's not even clear what that means. Mm. Is, is his view. the idea of consciousness yeah. sort of skating over and rationalising? Exactly. And and yeah. so yeah. I, I guess the the problem is that you know being yourself, as it were, if that means you know let, letting it all hang out in some mm. sense, like like doing what you really would do at home right now, um, is a feature of being high status. Mm. But it really is not a route to high status, much as Hollywood would like you to think it is. Mm. Um, you know, suddenly being yourself is probably not a very good idea in a lot of contexts. Well, especially when you look at the other people who are themselves, who are the people right at the bottom of society. Yeah. You know, the, the Vladimirs and Estragons sitting on their park bench, you know, sort of 
falling over and rowing with each other. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, they're, 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 so I think you've, you've either got to be at the top so there's nobody above you to tell you what to do, or you've dropped out, you know, and you're at the, at the bottom and there's nowhere there's nowhere else to go. Yes, and, and if you if you were cynical about it, you might say the reason that ho that Hollywood screenwriters mm. want to encourage people to be themselves is because it uh, it, it pushes. It, if you followed that advice, it would push you down the social hierarchy by and large. It's propaganda. Yeah. Hey, you yeah. should be yourself. I'm going to carry on being uh, what my boss wants me to be. Mm. But yeah. you know, you should be yourself. Mm. Nice. We need to run this up. So here's a question. Um, can you give me a moment, a specific memory, as, um, when um, perhaps even either in the moment or after that moment, you realised that you were being inauthentic, whatever that means, in mm. the bounds of what we've been talking about. Um, does anyone, anyone want to go for it? It's, I'm not sure if it's a good question. I think it is a good question, but it's a it's hard, hard question. Hard question. <laughs> you don't just go, oh yeah, I remember that time. Because it's hard to, because I'm being usually, inauthentic right now. <laughs> you usually bury those sort yeah. of memories in I've shame. Got, I, I okay, Jordan's got, got one. So Jordan can yeah. lead off, and then that might sort of inspire yeah. us. Um, Jordan. I, it's a bit of a funny one, but I guess it's when when I was at school, and I I really tried to get into um, like punk music and skating and stuff. I really tried to do that for a long time. And Into what? Sorry, punk, punk music and, and skating. skateboarding. Yeah. Oh, okay, skateboarding okay. As, as an activity. Um, mainly, I guess to sort of sort of fit in. But I was trying to do it, and it didn't really work for me at all. And then I eventually realised that I just didn't. I wasn't into it at all. But I just it was a it was a sort of I guess that's when I was being inauthentic because I was trying to sort of align myself with a, a fashion or something, mm. but it wasn't really. It wasn't me. You realised you just weren't yeah. cool. Yeah. And, well, not yeah. in that way. <laughs> Still cool. Um, anyone else? I, I've got... I, this isn't really an answer to your question because I think... Um, I, I'm not I'm not going to sit here and claim that I, I... I am unusually authentic. But I am... Con I'm, I've, I've been conscious for a long time of, like, really rejecting things that felt inauthentic to me. And one example that pops into my mind, apart from, um, at, you know, at school on mufti days, so in other words, days where you kind of could wear your your own clothes, um, I, I uh, used to just take take my tie off. I'd pay them, I'd just wear school uniform, but without the tie. Because everyone else, like people would come in wearing, you know, the latest fashions, which at the time were, were for some reason, naff-naff clothing and stuff and and like but really baggy jeans and stuff it was the 90s and i hated all that and i, I remember being conscious of like never wanting to wear jeans so I, ne I haven't worn jeans since i was given them at the age of about eight because they just don't feel like me and 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 it's weird because nobody thinks anything of you if you wear jeans they're a completely normal thing to wear but they're just, I have this really strong aversion to wearing jeans. It kind of reminds me of uh, something David Mitchell once said, which was the reason he hates clothes shopping is that he doesn't want anyone to, to look at him and think, you you think you look good in that. And, <laughs> I, and I feel the same about what I wear. Like I, I almost deliberately wear stuff that is where, where no one could ever accuse me of trying to look good. Yeah, no, you're, <laughs> and that's very self-aware of you actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it's it's true. I, I've, I've, I definitely, I, I think I... I struggle to be unauthentic, actually. Mm. It may, may not it may not have been good for me. Yeah, um, yeah. But, yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, you've got it, yeah. Um, Chris? Yeah, I, I, I remember um, when I was seven or eight and there was a general election 
And my family were very much uh, a labor-supporting family. And I decided to make my own conservative banner <laughs> and, and put it in my window. Um, and uh, and I, I, like at the time, I sort of thought, well, you know, it was obviously an act of rebellion. It wasn't one that I authentically felt because I, I did have that sort of indoctrination against, you know, the, the kind of the Thatcher government. Um, but I, I now sort of look back and I think, well, that was quite that was quite interesting. You know, did I did I did I actually have some because, I, I, you know, I, I really struggle with because that sense of political identity is very much uh, sort of um, it's like supporting a football team for me rather than what do you actually think? Mm. Uh, so there's an element of sort of political authenticity that isn't about what, you know, look at the manifestos, what what do you actually believe in, which should be what you're doing, right? But there's this element of, oh, somehow I'm on this team and it's my job to like these ideas over over here, whether they make sense for your point in life or uh, stage in life or, or, or not. So. But also in that sort of act of, what, it was inauthentic, inauthentic, right? However, I think you were being very authentic to the Chris Rag that I know a bit mm. of don't tell me what to do yeah, or, yeah. you know, being a little bit contrarian about things. And, you know, so, yeah. Yeah, Chris has just reminded me of my communist phase, which <laughs> I went through at the age of about 13, 14, um, purely because I was at a private school. Uh, yeah, and yeah. I thought being a communist would be a way to, you know, a pâté le bourgeois. Like and, every uh, other private school. Yeah, boy, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, decided that I was a communist. Had had a load of, uh, you know, revolutionaries come and appropriated my house, I uh, wouldn't have been very happy about yeah, it. He'd be less keen on the yeah. whole concept. Yeah, yeah. I str I'm struggling with this one. I th in many ways, I, I think I'm a bit of a free spirit, I would say, more or less, you know. I'm not a company man. And I, I think... I thought you were going to say something else then. <laughs> <laughs> no, I am that. Yeah, um, um, yeah it just... Um, I think my whole life has been a struggle um, uh, for authenticity. Um, you know, thinking of school, um, going to you know, one of these private schools and, um, and then work and behaving at work and... And, um, and even where I lived just outside London, which I found a bit of a kind of, you know, um, welcome to Pleasant Valley Sunday kind of place um, with all the plastics and the norms. And um, but maybe I'm exactly that. And I have to say, you'll be pleased to know I've come to a moment in my life where I feel more authentic than I have. Great, this supports our theory that, the, you know, the, the two people who are most authentic, Wise you and me, one is, one is high status and one is very low status. So <laughs> it supports, supports our, uh, our argument perfectly. encapsulates it. Yeah. Okay, I think let's wind up. I, by the way, I feel really authentic in these podcasts, actually. Mm -hmm. That's one of the things I like about doing them. I really do. Hopefully the listeners appreciate yeah. that too. Sadly, this is me revealed in all, you know. Okay, let's stop there. I really like that one. Um, all right, thanks as always. I don't think we fully kind of resolved it. It doesn't, no, can't be I resolved. Think we it unpicked, doesn't need to. I think we yeah. unpicked the issue quite, quite yeah, forensically. Yeah. Um, so we'll stop there. Thank you as always for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser Lempiro. We've been here with Jordan Fermanis, Nick Hare, and Chris Ragg of Alive Insights. Until next time, goodbye. Mm -hmm.